0: I think it's a mislabeled mic back there. It's not the one that says my name. It's the other wireless next to it. So the next time we get that. So, so uh, I woke up this morning about 2.30 and I thought about my sermon that I was going to preach today. And I thought, well, I can't preach that sermon today. Uh, and I don't, it's, uh, I don't know 100% know why. I just didn't feel like spiritually or emotionally, I was in a good place to preach the sermon that I had had prepared for this week. And so I thought, well, I'll just go back and look for an old sermon I've preached and preach that because it's probably the best thing to do. And so then I come to the church and then I start uh, putting out our our connection cards and, and I'm praying while I'm doing that. And just thinking about this, I thought, I think I have to preach the sermon. So I've switched back and forth three times on what I'm preaching this morning. Uh, and we'll go with uh, what I initially decided. So your bulletin is not going to match up. You can just scratch out the marks and write the other verse down uh, for the outline. So last week, we focused on treasure hunting. We learned that our worry and our anxiety can be traced back to seeking the wrong treasure placing our focus in the wrong place and serving the wrong master. And I read this verse and didn't really spend a lot of time on the verse. It's Matthew chapter six, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you once again that we get to gather for worship and thank you for all the many great gifts that you give us. And Lord, I pray that you walk through us or walk with us through this text. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. And help us to understand what you call us to. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Have you ever been to one of those meetings that start off like this? Hi, my name is Larry and I am a Yeah, fill in the blank. Right? And have you ever been to one of those meetings? Maybe people are like, I'm not raising my hand now. I've never been to one on my own, but I've taken people to those meetings. And, and it's always an interesting thing to sit through that. And so let, let's pretend for a moment that we're at one of those meetings. And you know, after I say, hi, my name is Larry, and I am, you're supposed to say back, hi, Larry. Because it make me feel welcome, all right, so, and important. So hi, my name is Larry, and I am a warrior. Hi, Larry. Thank you. That makes me feel much better for being here today. So. I would rather be telling you this morning that I'm a warrior. Uh, And if worry is a war, then man, I'm definitely a warrior. I mean I'm a skilled warrior when it comes to the idea of worry Uh, this may not be a problem for you however I know that I'm not alone in this and and looking back at that verse 21 for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and the truth is when we think about that our our minds often take that idea of treasure and we push it into money and we think that's what he's been talking about there and 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 yes we learned that money is part of that but oftentimes our treasure is other things as well and and sometimes that treasure is not all bad right and we we can think about that for a different from a different perspective right sometimes we can have our hearts in good things and those good things can 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 become bad things for us does that make sense yeah and and so when I think about this I think about all of the things that I worry about man I, I worry about April from the moment we were laying on the floor of a Toys R Us where she was having that grand mal seizure blood pouring out of her mouth her shaking violently the only thing i knew to do was lay beside her and, and to keep her head from hitting against the stuff that was around there um, now if I, I just worry about her and if i can't get in touch with her if i'm calling her and she doesn't answer and it's more than two minutes before she calls back, I'm not kidding you. I'm ready to drop whatever I'm doing and run home or run to her work or wherever she's at just so I can make sure she's all right. So I, I, I worry at times that I'm not enough for April. And, and listen, this isn't anything she's doing to make me feel this way. It's just the insecurities that I battle with my whole life. I, I worry about one day having to stand over her grave. You know, so I worry about my kids and my, and my grandkids. You know, and thinking about my kids and grandkids, you know, I, anytime they get a fever, you know, I just, man, it freaks me out. And my kids, when they were younger, it would just, I borrowed the worst. And now Dom, we've had Dom since th- Thursday night, and he spiked 103 degree temperature. And, you know, just, it worries me sick. You know, and uh, they're my treasure, right? I, I think when I think back to my life as a parent, truth is, is that um, there are phrases for parenting. There, The phrase helicopter parenting, have you ever heard that, where the parent kind of hovers over? I think I was the test subject for lawnmower parenting. You know what that is? You go in and you mow down every obstacle ahead of your kids so, that, so they won't have a difficult time. Uh, And so every time, every time I I think through them, I just worry. I worry about the future they're going to have. I worry about our church. Uh, Are are we going to grow? How are we going to grow? Uh, And how are we going to put in place those things that will bring people here to want to connect with the body of Christ here? Because the truth is, is we, we live in a world today that wants the already there. And, and, and as people come to our body of believers, they come here and they say, well, I like this. I like this, but you don't have that. And, and, and Russell and I just kind of commiserating together this week through texting, like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to put those things in place? I worry about the state of our nation and the world. For for years, as I've coached football or any sport, I've prayed for the young men. I stand back, and all those other guys know X's and O's so much better than I do. I'm kind of the good cop coach there just to pat kids on the back and and encourage them along the way and teach them the things that I know. Uh, But as I don't have anything to do, I'll find myself watching them practice, and I just start praying, Lord, be with these young men in the war that they're going to fight one day. You know, and truth is, is they may not fight a war. But in my mind, it's already convinced of that. See, these are all good things, right? And, and having my treasure on the good has caused me to take my focus off of the better. And, and in turn, the, the joy I feel today is replaced by worry for tomorrow. Is anybody else there with me? So as I began to think about this passage of Scripture, and I looked at it like, man, who am I to stand up in front of people and say, don't be anxious, because the truth is, is I've probably taken years off of my life with anxiousness and worry. And it's an altruistic things, I believe. My family, the church, our world, young folks. and, and But the fact is, is that, man, I have put myself in a position to steal joy away from my life. While in Florida, I served as a, a volunteer fire chaplain for the Groveland Fire Department. And every Thursday, I would go to both firehouses uh, in, in Groveland and visit the firefighters so that I would see them once a month, sometimes two, some, some of them twice a month. And I had to go to this special training thing for that. Uh, uh, role, and one of the things they taught us in that that training thing is that when you're dealing with people through trauma, especially firefighters and first responders and things like that, you you have to get them to, to use this tool of cognitive reframing. Right. Because if something's gone wrong, they're going to blame themselves. And the truth is, is the only time I ever had a chance to speak with firemen about something is when they lost one of their own in an ambulance as he was having a heart attack at home. And the guy said, I should have done more. I should have done this. I could have done this. And and it's like, well, let's think through this. If that was anybody else in there. would you think that? It's that whole idea of cognitive reframing. And in Christianity, we understand that the place starts in our minds. Well, it starts in our hearts as Jesus Christ is inside of us. And we live out that life of faith in him. And then it's in our minds. The Bible says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Does God's word give us a way of removing or renewing our mind when it comes to the idea of worry? And yes, it does. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. From our text, there are at least three reasons why we can learn from, there are three things we can learn from Jesus that will help us in our war against worry. And the first one is this it's pretty simple worry is useless. Worry is useless. Uh, look again at verse 27. He says, in which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the, to the span of his life? Think about that for a moment. What value does worry have? And, and let's run through some of those issues in life that, that cause us worry. I mean, first, we, don't we sometimes worry about our past sins? We think about those past sins, and those are the things, right, that are there, and, and they're there for us, but unfortunately, not only are they there for us, sometimes we even have people in our lives that, that are reminding us of these past sins, and those are the things that keep coming up. It's like, man, I mean, I'm struggling with this enough, and there's somebody else that's bringing this in my, am I just being kind of uh, not thinking through this straight? I mean, is God, does God still condemn me? Does he still hold this over me? Because there are people in our lives that do that. So worry of our past sin is something that's constantly there. See, we can learn from those past sins uh, for tomorrow, but we understand that when we're not struggling. For the follower of Christ, there are a couple of promises that we need to focus in on when it comes to the sins of the past. Because we all have them. And when I'm talking about sins of the past, I'm not even talking about sins of the way past. I'm talking about sins this week, struggles that are there. And we all have those sins, and then we have the father of lies as an accuser, a liar. He's a tempter, and once we give in to that temptation, he's there to remind us of just how unlovable we are. And the most important book in all of the world is the Bible. And in my opinion, the most important letter in the Bible is the book of Romans, and the most important chapter in the book of Romans is chapter 8, and the most important verse in the book of Romans is chapter 8, verse 1. But before we see that, let's look at what... Paul said he he was talking about a struggle the things I want to do I don't do and the things I don't want to do these I do and then he says this in math or in Romans 7 wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind but with my flesh I serve the law this is the struggle of life it's the struggle of life and as we focus in on those those sins that we give into those things that we struggle with. We often forget some other promises of God's word. This isn't going to be up on the screen, but the Bible tells us if we're faithful to confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And as we continue to give those sins over to God and confess those things to him, he's faithful and he's just, and he'll forgive them. Now, please, please listen. I'm not saying that in that sin and in those struggles that we just say, well, God's going to forgive After all, he's the good God, and that's what he does. That's not a struggle with sin. That's just a giving over of our lives to something that's taking us further and further away from our Father. But in those struggles, those real struggles that are there, when we confess them to God, when we give them to him, and God's word is clear, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then that very next verse, if you're a Bible underliner, a highlighter, a circler, this should be one of those verses that you put deep into your soul because it's truly important for the follower of Christ. Here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear what he said? This is the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit writing these words, talking about his struggle in life. And then he gets to this point and says, listen, I just keep confessing and giving it over and trusting God to remove that sin from me. And then he writes those Holy Spirit inspired words. There is therefore now no condemnation, not condemned. So why do I need to worry about the sins of the past if that's not enough? The psalm writer said, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, the power of sin was defeated. And we need to be very careful here. As I said, the one who gets grace doesn't take advantage of that grace. That's why the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote those words. What shall we say then? Shall we go on and sin that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? And then he says, don't you know that of all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death, that just as he was raised from the grave, we too may walk in the newness of life. See, when we get grace, we don't take advantage of it. We also understand the truth about our sin, and our sin doesn't become one of those things that we're constantly bogged down about, worried about. The world may remind us. Family members may remind us of our sin. Co-workers may point out sometimes our hypocrisy, but stand on the truth of God's word. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about it. Give it back to God. Let him take it. See, worrying about the future is worthless. When, when we worry about the future, we're really declaring that we alone are responsible not only for our future, but for those things that we treasure, right? And, and I've ran that through all of the things that I worry about. I've realized that God loves my wife, my children, this church, my grandchildren far more and with a much more pure love than I can love any of those things. So who am I to tell God? God, listen, I'm going to take all of these things and i gonna make sure that everything is in order, I'm going to make sure it's in order for my wife my kids my grandkids this church and I'm just going to work myself to death trying to do that I can convince myself that worry is altruistic that it's out of love but the truth is is I don't want to experience the pain of failing I don't want to experience the pain of failing in this church I don't want to experience the pain of standing over the casket of my wife or my kids or my grandkids I don't want to know what that feeling is like and essentially, do you know what I'm telling God? God, you're not big enough if it's going to hurt me a lot. You're not big enough to be there when those things hurt. Right? You're good enough when things are well. You're good enough when I have my hope in all the right places. But man, right here, God, please don't do this because I don't know. I don't know. And I'm t- taking God's place in my own life. Instead of worrying for tomorrow, we need faith today. We need an obedience for today. There was a researcher named Lucas Lafrenier. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his last name right. He's got a PhD behind it, so that's what makes it important. He says, this is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. For chronic worriers, this process leads them to be continually distressed all of their lives in order to avoid later events that never happen Worry sucks the joy out of the here and now. In his study on worry, participants were asked to record their worries and how they caused distress and interfered with their lives. Each night at 10 p.m., they reported how much time they had spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day. Then, 20 days after that period, they reviewed each entry and reported whether any of the worries became true. The good news is, in the study, found that worrisome people, 91.4% of their Worries never actually happened. 91.4% of them. Some do. Some things do. Right, But 91.4% didn't come true. Worrying caused only misery and did nothing to help the worriers handle whatever they had been worrying about. This is mainly because the hotly anticipated events never transpired. Jesus said, verse 27, Can any of you add a single hour of your life by worrying? Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the trouble for today. And worry is a faith misplaced, right? It's a faith misplaced. God, I I trust these things are going to happen more than I trust you. I I trust this is what's going to take place more than I trust you. My mind goes back to the people of Israel and their journey with Moses from slavery to the Promised Land. God miraculously delivered them from slavery from Egypt. God miraculously gave them bread and water on the trail uh, to 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 Israel. God miraculously defeated enemies and and people before them. And, And instead of looking back and in seeing what God had done and trusting Him, they looked ahead without faith and kept saying, "Man, where's our food? Where's our safety?" Where's the things you're going to provide? In the midst of every circumstance in life, we need to keep our eyes on God. When things are good, we can be lulled into this, this, this fake safety and security that they're always going to be good. And when those good things are taken away from us, man, we think, well, that's when we need God. See, we need God, I believe, more when things are good than when they're bad. Because when we we rely upon him, when things are good, it builds our faith and our trust. And we understand that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And that we live in a fallen world, and those good and perfect gifts can sometimes be taken away from us. The Bible says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So worry is useless. The second thing, worry is blind. Uh, at this point, we could have said worry has a short memory. Uh, the people of Israel, they, God pointed them back to that. Even, uh, even here in this text, God wants us through the words of Jesus to understand, listen, don't get caught up on what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you're going to drive. Have you ever noticed that our society feeds into those worries? At every angle. just drive down the road today and look at billboards. You're going to have a picture of a nice juicy hamburger somewhere followed by a lawyer when things go bad for you to go ahead and hire that lawyer to make things good again. Or or you turn on your television at night. April and I are at that stage in life where we're those people that watch the game show network just about every night. I think that officially means we're old. (laughs) So there's something that happens on the game show network. They, They shift gears about 730 at night. So about 7:30 at night, uh, they go from medicines and medication. That's what they're focusing in on. Just cracks me up. That's a, it's all medicines and medication. And then about 7:30 at night, it switches over to hamburgers and pizza. And I got all of these pictures of great looking food that are on there just to make your mouth water and hope you to pick up the phone and, or get in the car and go out and, and get something. Pick up any magazine and you'll find that fashion is always the talk. Even we have television shows. Many just flip through the TV at night and you have people literally standing up and talking about what people are wearing and then saying stuff, these things like they paid $12,000 for that jacket. Like, really? That's, that's what we're focusing in on. Right? How, how many cars have you owned in your life? Have you ever asked that question? So, how many cars have you owned in your life? I, I wanted to start to try to count them, but then I lost track. I, I do know this: that April and I have counted that we've made 14 moves over the years. Uh, so, we've sold six different houses, and we currently find ourselves wondering—I I, I switched the word from worrying—about how we're going to be able to afford to buy a house in this market here in Central Ohio. So Jesus plainly says, listen, look at the birds of the air. God has fed them. Look at the lilies of the field. God has clothed them. And he makes this argument from the lesser to the greater. The birds are cared for. The flowers are adorned. God will take care of you. So now let's think about this from another perspective. Look back in your life at those things that you've worried about in the past, those things that you've borrowed trouble for in the past, and you're like, man, I'm sure it's this and I'm sure it's that. I I remember about 12 years ago, I was getting these twitches, right? I remember sitting with mother-in-law, I talking with her once, and my thumb was literally doing this. Uncontrollable. I mean, moving about that much. Eye twitches and everything else, so I did what every good researcher will do. I got on WebMD, and I was sure that I had Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> so, and, you know, I was like, all right, I wonder how long it's going to be. Ten years, and I'm out of here. Uh, you know, if, at best, and if the truth is, is that stress and everything else, because I worry, was doing that to me. And I went to the doctor and talked about it. He ran a couple tests and he said, here's what you got. You have benign fascination syndrome. I said, can you explain that to me in layman's terms? Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) That was his key. Don't worry about it. So what Jesus is doing here with these examples is saying, trust me through this. And we think back through life. Did did you notice those moments in life that you may have been growing for something later? You were going through a struggle and you were worried about it, but God was taking you through that, that point of growth so that, that something five years down the road would be much easier to handle. I, I remember one of the people I love spending time with after first becoming a Christian and getting involved in leadership uh, was Sed Kuhnferr. So, Sed took me and Preston fishing. Preston caught his first fish with Sed. I still remember the big old smile on Sed's face with him catching that fish. And and Sed, you know, when you do stuff like that, you just start having crazy conversations. And I I asked Sed, I said, this was after he got initially sick. I said, do you ever wish you could know, you know, like five years down the road from now? And he said something I'll never forget. And I'm not going to say it word for word, but this is essentially what it was. No, I don't want to know what's going to happen five years down the road. Because i don't know if i'm going to have the strength today to handle what might be happening five years down the road but i know that god's going to carry me every day from now until then so that whatever it is when i get there i'll be prepared for it as i handle it in him see this is what happens right so does this mean in answering these, some of these questions that, that that they'll never people will never starve does this mean that no one will ever lack clothing does this mean that no one will ever get sick And are you not just preaching a form of a prosperity gospel and trying to couch it in faith? And the answer is no. It doesn't mean any of those things. We live in a fallen and broken world, and the results of sin are all around us. And there are times in his word that God uses famine and disease as a means of punishing the disobedience of a group of people. And unfortunately, God's people are sometimes caught up in the mix of that stuff. Just look at our world today. These things are happening we do have some great promises from God's Word. We can be sure of our hope in Christ, and we need to trust in that. If our hope is in the eternal, nothing in the temporal will shake our faith. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's spirit-inspired words to the church in Philippi. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, uh, to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's our final lesson. Worry keeps us from seeking what truly matters. Look at verses 31 through 33 again. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. All. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus states once more: it's like, don't be anxious. Stop worrying. But he takes it a step further. It's not just what takes place here. Jesus takes it a step further, and he says, and don't even say, Don't even begin to speak this thing, this out with your words. And and I'm not talking about that whole speak things into existence here, but there are power, there's power in our words. See, in the Jewish mindset, right, uh, he says this is what the Gentiles do. They say they worry about these things. In the Jewish mindset, what was a Gentile? A Gentile was a heathen. Somebody who was separated from God, somebody who didn't have the words of God. And so he's saying, listen, don't be like them, but let me take this a step further. The reason they were like that is because they didn't have the word of God. Romans chapter three, verses one and two, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. See, they had the word of God. They had the history behind them. They had the promises of God's faithfulness to those who would stay faithful to him in their covenant. They had all of these things. And so Jesus is looking at these men and saying, listen, don't be like them. You've got God's word. You've got God's promise. You've got his history behind you. Trust in those things in church. Aren't we an extension of that today? Isn't that true of us as well? Jesus is telling us, do not be anxious about what's to come. This is what the heathens do. Remember, not judging them, but they don't have these promises. They don't have your faith. They don't have these things for them. You do. They are people without hope. Truth is. If we live long enough, we're going to stand over the casket of someone we love. All of the prayers that we offered up, all the longing for them to be made whole, they're not going to be realized. Does that mean God has failed you? No. We may experience a period of war in our world like times past, and that battle may find its way to our land. We may lose everything we have in a retirement account and then need to spend the rest of our days hoping that our body outlasts the air in our lungs. We may experience the kind of persecution the Bible talks about and other followers of Christ are experiencing around the world. And when we do, when we do, because those things are going to come true for everyone who lives long enough. Jesus is not saying, listen, don't be worried. Everything's don't be a worrier. Everything's going to be hunky dory. No, he says, listen, don't be a worrier. Some of those things might not come true, but some of them might. And in those moments, what's going to carry you through? In that time when you're standing over that casket, what's going to carry you through? In that time when your retirement account is emptied, what's going to carry you through? In that time when the doctor says there's little hope, what's going to carry you through? And let me be real about this. I'm realizing as much as I worry about things, I wonder in those moments if seeking after his kingdom and his righteousness will be what I'm focused on or in those moments will I be more focused on this question God why why'd you let me down why'd you take that away why am I having to endure this See, I think the reason that Jesus tells us, listen, don't be like them because you have this hope, you have this promise, you have these things. I think the reason he tells them that and he's reminding us, here's what we have to do today and the trouble that we have for today, this is what we need to set ourselves to be about. We need to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and when we seek his kingdom, his righteousness first, we understand that bad things happen to good people, and we understand that his will sometimes does things that we're never going to grasp, but we trust him through those moments, and when those things fall apart, and some of you know this to be a lot more true than my worry has placed me in. When those things happen, the only thing you're gonna be able to hold on to is not your righteousness, but his. This is why he's telling you to continue to seek his righteousness. Continue to trust and rely upon him, not upon yourself. The Sermon on the Mount begins with kingdom values, the Beatitudes. And as we live those out, right, as we live those out, God's word tells us that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to hunger and thirst there. So you see, this has nothing to do with the prosperity gospel. God has not promised to keep you healthy, wealthy, and full of blessings in this world. No, God has promised something much greater. He's promised there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Love of God that's in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. He's promised that he will raise you up on the last day. John chapter 6, verse 40. He's promised that he's preparing a place for those who love him and will one day return to take his church to that place. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. He's promised that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, meaning that we're going to have them. They're going to be there. He's promised that he's going to be with us as our as his people, that he will be our God and we will be his people in his presence. Revelation chapter 21 verses one through four. Since we have the very words of God, we can't get caught up speaking about the concerns of this world. We can't get caught up asking those same questions that other people ask. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or what shall we drive or how can I survive or how can God take this away from me? No, we can't get caught up in that. Right now, we need to take today and seek him and his righteousness. I I think the Bible just says the same thing over and over and over in different ways. And preparing for this message this week, it's brought to mind just what Paul meant when he said. It's not going to be on the screen when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on. This is in Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead for that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It brings it all even to a greater power. So... From there, it's just we need to continue to seek hard after Christ and his righteousness, spending time in his word, spending time with his people, predetermined that we're going to trust and obey. So the reason why this is so important is there's enough trouble for today that I need to trust the Lord to get me through today seeking after his righteousness and his kingdom. And if I do, then perhaps I'll be prepared for what will lie tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and for this opportunity we've had today to be in your word. So, Father, I pray that as we walk out of this room, and as we walk into the world, that we focus on the moment. We focus on the promise that we have, and the reality that as followers of Christ, that we have your spirit dwelling inside of us. And when those moments of stress and worry come our way, That we don't get caught up asking questions about that, that we get more caught up in remembering the promise of your word, remembering how you've walked us through the past, and more importantly, Father, remembering that you're going to come and take us to be with you, and that all of these struggles, all of these trials, all of these things that we grow anxious about will completely be gone. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your promise, and may we walk out of here differently. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the truth is, is um, I know in my own life, I'm going to have to replay this, what I've learned this week, over and over and over again. So and I'm going to have to continue to trust in what God's Word says. And in those moments where I want to get caught up worrying about things, I'm just going to ask God's Spirit to remind me of what His Word said today. So I don't know who's coming to the room if this needs to be something that you need to start with. But perhaps, perhaps a great place to start is by saying, hi, my name is and I'm a worrier. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. And I need God to deliver me from that right now. If you've not yet made a decision to follow Christ, I'd like to give you this opportunity as well. Uh, to respond by putting your faith in him believing that he lived for you died for you that he resurrected from a grave for you confessing him to be the lord of your life repenting of a life of sin and turning back toward him submitting to christian baptism for the remission of your sins the indwelling presence of his spirit and then from there beginning to chase after holiness even in this struggle right here trusting him through every step if you need to make that decision will you do so this morning as we stand and sing